Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Monta. I'm so happy to have the guest we have with us today. I guess is a tech entrepreneur and an investor. He's featured in Fortune's 40 Under 40 list. He is a co-founder and former CEO of ZocDoc, a New York-based, New York City-based online medical appointment booking service that allows people to find and book medical care. He's a member of the Board of Advisors of Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. And most recently, he founded Dr. B, which functions as a vaccine standby list to connect unclaimed COVID-19 vaccines with those in need. More than 200 clinics and pharmacies in 30 states have already registered to be connected with close to 2.5 million people across the country who signed up on Dr. B's website. How are you doing, Mr. Dr. B? Dr. B, Cyrus Masuni, thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today, sir. Thank you for having me, Montel. Absolutely. Let's still go back a little bit and talk a little bit about your background. What's your background in? Yeah, I started, uh, I come from a family of all doctors, uh, and I know that you're down in South Florida. I actually grew up in the area, uh, and everyone in my family, my grandfather, my father, my sister, my cousin, they're all physicians. And I was the one that was not good at organic chemistry. I like like playing with computer games, and I like making things work, and I loved the idea of using my skills to help people help people in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess you founded ZocDoc before you did Dr. B, right? Yeah. And that company was started. Uh, I was working. Uh, that was not the first company that I started. It was the first successful company that I started. So I started a company prior to that uh, when I was 22 years old in the early days of e-commerce that sold software to e-commerce retailers. And Amazon, unfortunately, was not one of my customers. So I closed up shop. And uh, in 2007, I was flying across the country. I had a really bad sinus infection. And uh, my plane landed in New York City where I was living. And the pressure from the landing resulted in my eardrum rupturing. Wow. And so I went to my insurance company website. I started calling down the list of doctors and started calling doctors who no longer practiced. I called one doctor who was dead. And I thought this is a ridiculous way. It was 2007 at the time to be booking a doctor's appointment. I should be able to book it as instantly as I can buy a book on Amazon or book a restaurant online. And so that sort of prompted me to figure out a way to make that work in healthcare. And that led me on a, a, almost a decade long journey of, of bringing uh, antiquated medical practices online and, and getting people to be able to book with them. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, that I, I kind of believe I've been involved in the medical community now for about 10 years in various ways. I helped found a company on a medical device and I'm working right now with another company that's trying to move a, a protocol forward for PTSD. And I've been deeply involved in visit to Walter Reed. I, 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 my military background's taken me through Walter Reed, through Johns Hopkins, through the Nobel Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. I, I'm involved in the Ann Romney Foundation out of Harvard and the Brigham and Women's Hospital there. But I recognize very quickly that we're uh, in this journey that I've been on, that transformative initiatives or transformative technology is normally met with the most vehement and adamant resistance from the medical community. Um, they will fight that. I mean, I, I like look back to, it was in 1980, 81, 82, where, you know, 90% of the doctors across this country said this thing called an MRI doesn't work. Really? You know, you go back and look at some of the printed stuff that came out of these guys' mouths. It was absolutely insane. So 
you must have been met with some serious, some serious resistance when you started to say to the doctor, look, I've got a better way for you to administer what you're doing. What was the, what was the pushback? Yeah, look, we there was no shortage of it. Um, I I was the first salesperson for ZocDoc. I signed up the first 50 doctors myself. And I remember very early on, we went live at this uh, conference. TechCrunch has this annual conference where they have startup companies that go and launch on stage. And I had uh, two co-founders that were both able to code, and I was the the non-technical of the bunch. And so my job was to recruit the initial sets of physicians. And I remember uh, the only task that we wanted me to have is we wanted to have enough uh, doctors on the platform. So when you hit the search bar, there would actually be a scroll bar. So it didn't look completely uh, pathetic when we launched. And even getting that, that meant that I needed to get about seven or 10 uh, doctors online. And back then, ZocDoc only had dentists. And, and so a day before launch, we only had three or four. So we just had this screen and it was basically empty, white space. And I remember there was one doctor who'd given me a positive indication that he was willing to give us a shot. And he had a few, he had four or five doctors in his practice. His name is David Ritholtz and Premier Dental Associates downtown New York City, right next to where the World Trade Center was, actually. He was one of the only dentists that stayed down there after the, after the Trade, Trade Center um, fell. And he, he, he told me that he would come on board. So I showed up at 8 a.m. and I was there when they opened the office. And I saw him when he walked in. And he said he would see me. And I, I must have stayed in that office till 4.30 p.m. Like I stayed there for eight and a half hours. And I think out of desperation, he, he's like, this guy is completely nuts. I'm going to I'm gonna do whatever I can to uh, help, help him out. And so he joined with his four doctors. We got our scroll bar. You know, that wasn't the end of it. I had numerous times where got more, many more no's than yeses. Uh, there were a few times when I got escorted out of doctor's offices with security uh, because they didn't want anyone to solicit them. And, you know, it was obviously very humbling because previously, uh, you know, I was working at McKinsey and Company, serving Fortune 500 CEOs and the, some of the biggest tech companies and helping on their most strategic problems. And now I'm getting kicked out of doctor's offices, uh, told never to come back. You know, the, the thing that gave me uh, a few years after that, of course, every single one of the offices that that kicked me out ended up joining the platform. And so it really was just a lesson in, in never giving up which I think if you have an idea that's world positive and uh, people need it, uh, I think you just have to not give up. It drives me, but I I feel a little crazy over the idea that you were really just trying to help them fill their open slots. So I don't understand why, you know, it's just so crazy. Like, you know, people, they they will stab the hand that's trying to feed them. But you, you literally were doing a service, not just for, the patient, but doing a service for doctors. Yeah, you know there was a, um, you know, we, we and, and we tried to do, to take that service one step uh, further. I, I don't know if you remember, but right around that time, uh, there was a movie called Sicko that Michael Moore had made that talked about the American healthcare system. And one of the issues it talked about was how nine eleven rescue workers didn't have access to dental care. And ZocDoc only had dentists. And at some point within that first year or two, we had one or 2% of the dentists in Manhattan signed up early on. 
And we got every single one of them to agree to give free dental care to 9-11 rescue workers. And then I just started, I started calling all the 9-11 rescue organizations said, I saw this movie. This is a problem. We can solve it. Uh, let me uh, let me help you. We're willing to give with our with our partner physicians. We will give everyone free care that needs it. There was a 9-11 rescue worker and I was never able to get it done. And I'm I was the guy who got kicked out of the office of the security and I was not able to connect people who want to do good uh, to the initiatives that that could have connected uh, connected the people that needed the help. And I think that was one of my my biggest frustrations. And, and you're exactly right about the headwinds that one receives, which is uh, immense in, in any industry when you're trying to change it. And healthcare is no, not really uh, not any different. Yeah, I think in healthcare, it can be a little bit more of a, of a resistant headwind. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, I know you were involved in helping uh, for 9-11, this protocol that I'm working on right now, which is a, a protocol that is literally one of only two cures for PTSD in the world today. It is not a, you know, Band-Aid to PTSD. It is a cure to PTSD. It's been, you know, accredited by that, by the ISTSS, by all the organizations that, you know, certify psychological kinds of protocols. And yet now it's 10 years later after having treated 9-11 survivors with a 90% efficacy rate. Wow. Still, years later, you know, we're battling against an industry that literally has kind of tried to form a cottage industry around the suffering of others. And so something that is is that is a cure rather than a Band-Aid, they don't want to hear. You know, it's really crazy. Am I allowed to ask you questions? I'm curious how it works. Sure. Oh, it's an incredible program. I'll, I'll get you the information about it. It's called RTM. It's called Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories. Um, it's a protocol that has been now vetted out. It's been, it was utilized by the state of New York for 9-11 responders um, and uh, or survivors. It's been uh, tested twice at Walter Reed for combat PTSD. It's been used by the state of New Mexico for first responders, uh, state of California for firefighters. It's been uh, Prince Harry was touting it for quite a long time until he left the you know, monarchy. It's been now being you know, studied at King's College in London. It is probably the most transformative mental health protocol that's come around in the last 30 years. But again, because, and watch this, works without medication and has remitted all symptoms of PTSD in some cases five hours the the long term of it is about 20 hours or 12 hours is the median and in 12 hours people go in 90 percent nine out of every 10 people who have gone through this protocol have remitted all of their symptoms of ptsd without drugs yeah it's incredible it's pretty incredible it's a whole new paradigm of how you think but i mean again i only bring it up to say you know this has been you know pushing you know water up a hill um, because again, those who make money off of the suffering of others don't want to lose their, you know, uh, their, their bankroll. So, but we'll get to that. I'm going to, I'm, we're, we won't stop just like yourself. You know, yeah. I'm one that doesn't give up very easily. So, okay. So you march along smartly with ZocDoc and ZocDoc is now, is it, is it rolled out across the country or are you just really still just in New yeah. York? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the time I left in 2015, we rolled out in all 50 states. So I made, uh, I remember it was 2014 
And the uh, we had this goal of getting to the whole continental U.S. by the end of the year. And I, I thought, well, 48 states is great, but 50 would be amazing. And so I promised the team that if they got to Alaska, I would be the first patient to book an appointment in, in Alaska on behalf of ZocDoc. And uh, they tried very desperately to get an OBGYN to be the first doctor on ZocDoc in Alaska <laughs> uh, to see what kind of visit I would have. And uh, thankfully for me, it was a dentist, in fact. And so I have 8701 uh, Arctic Boulevard in Anchorage, Alaska. That's the I, every six months I get a notice that I'm due for my cleaning in Anchorage. <laughs> I've, only, I've only been there once. And I remember the, the, the uh, local news station was recording my teeth cleaning and the doctor's hands were so uh, uh, he was so nervous at times. I was worried that the uh, the tartar uh, uh, buildup was going to get me. But he was quite good and professional. And I remember in, in the first um uh, in the first week in Anchorage, Alaska, there were more appointments booked on ZocDoc in Anchorage than in New York in its entire first year. Wow. And so it was pretty wow. cool. And it just really shows that, that you know, the entire world uh, can be transformed by technology that makes the world better. And, and that was uh, sort of a hard-earned lesson in that front. Well, now you started off with Dennis, but now it's opened up to... Uh, pretty much any any type of service. Yeah, there's over 50 different medical specialties. You can book marriage counseling. You can book um, literally. You can book a circumcision on ZocDoc now. Mm -hmm. But we started with dentists, and we knew that it would expand to all different types of practitioners. But you know, the thing that I spent a long time, you know, though I was very proud of what we achieved with ZocDoc, it wasn't lost upon me that. I created a system that worked for the 250 some odd Americans who had access and could use the health insurance they had. But what about the 91 million Americans who couldn't afford it? And, you know, we're the richest country in the world and nearly, uh, you know, 30% of our country uh, can't actually access care. And that became something that was uh, just personally mattered a lot to me because quite frankly, I was embarrassed by the fact that I hadn't come up with a solution. And that's what led me to wanting to get involved in the public health school at Columbia University is just to understand health inequity and what could be done to help remedy it. And well, now as you, before we go to, to the next topic, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that inequity, which still exists today. Yeah. Um, you know, the president talked about uh, the embarrassment of that that uh, a couple nights ago in his speech. Embarrassed that again, we are the we are the one of the richest nations in the world, and yet, you know, the question of of healthcare universal is one that just you know raises everyone's ire. Um, what is it going to take to get people to just become more empathetic or more, you know, compassionate and understand that? Though it's not a God-given right, it I think, is a right to, that, um, you know, is something that you should have a right to just by virtue of the fact that somebody takes money out of your paycheck. You know, I think, you know, if there are ways to, to look at the current pandemic, um, you know, I think one of the things that's come out of it is, is shining a light a very direct light in the health inequities that exist in this country. Um, the death rates in, 
the black, brown, native, Hispanic communities are literally three times higher than the national average. And I think that we can't forget that fact and we have to keep repeating it. Because if you ask the question, why enough times, you basically get to exactly what the president was hinted at. You, you learn that uh, if you're black, you're one and a half times more likely not to have health insurance than if you're white. If you're Hispanic, you're two and a half times more likely not to have health insurance. And people who don't have health insurance, ultimately, two two bad things, at least two bad things happen that, that have manifested themselves in the pandemic. One, that you're not going to get the preventative care. And so you're going to have unmanaged chronic illnesses, and that's going to result in people not being able to survive hits to their health, like catching COVID. And number two, people are going to be distrustful of healthcare because if you can't afford healthcare and God forbid you have to get it, like most Americans are going to go bankrupt if they have a $500 bill and you can't get out of emergency room without a thousand dollars these days. And so the vast majority of bankruptcies in this country are healthcare oriented. And then we ask ourselves, why are there are people in communities who are distrustful of the healthcare system and not wanting to go and trust and, and get these vaccines, et cetera. Well, the healthcare system has been, quite frankly, a, a, a threat to their, their financial well-being. And, and so in many respects, I think that, that what it's going to take, you know, unfortunately, is, 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 you know, we can't let these lives that have been lost in COVID go to vain. And I think that we have to constantly just repeat and like, why did this happen and not let our policymakers, our leaders, our, our business leaders, like accept the fact that this is acceptable for the richest country in the world to have segments of the population who are fr quite frankly dying because of lack of access to care. And, you know, when you say that, I mean, I, I agree with you one million or trillion percent, but unfortunately, we have half of the politicians in this country who just don't seem to give a crap. And I, and I say it that way, and it's a, it's a foul thing to say, but there are people here who just don't think that, you know, they could care less. As long as they're making money, they don't care. And I don't know how we beat people over the head to make them start caring again. You know, um, uh, you know, I think that another point that came out of the, the president's mouth the other night was, you know, we have 650 people in this country who are trillionaire or billionaires who literally have, you know, reaped the rewards of all the financial gains or 80% of the financial gains of the last, you know, two years in America. It's really strange when you start thinking of that small number of people Though they can be isolated because they have the ability to buy what it is they want, there's going to come a time very soon when we look at the medical, the true medical crisis in America, which no one has been talking about. I've been talking about this for 10 years, talking about the fact that there's two freight trains moving down a track towards each other right this minute. They've been moving down this track now for the last 10 years. What are the freight trains? One freight train is chronic illness. The other freight train is lack of nurses and doctors. Over the course of the last 10 years, we have seen enrollment in medical schools drop by, what is it, close to 80%. We've seen enrollment in nursing schools drop by 80%. 
This year alone, we will be about 365,000 nurses short in America right now. In the next two years, by 2024, it'll be close to 500,000. Why? Because the nurses are aging out. And in the last 10 years, we've unfortunately convinced an entire generation that they need to go after being internet stars or video games or being rappers and musicians, being actresses and models, and not go to med school. We will be close to 150,000 doctors short in America by 2024. You say, well, where are you getting this number from? I'm getting this number from the AMA. I'm getting this number from our people who are taking a very close look at this, recognizing that, you know, what does it take? It takes 13 years to train a doctor to get them back into the hospital to start working. So for the next 13 years, we are going to be short, meaning that in this country, you know, apps like yours, a ZocDot, it will be where doc will be people where people are going to have to go to find doctors, just to find an available doctor, to find an available appointment. And medicine will be doled out in this country for the next decade. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much how good your insurance is. You're going to roll into a hospital and have to sit in that corner and wait until the only one doctor or the only one nurse who's available at the time will be able to come and see you. And no one talks about this. We, we live in a nation as if we're, we're blind to this. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I think that, you know, um, uh, programs like yours or, you know, a company like yours, uh, you got those guys start looking ahead. I know they probably already are, but trying to figure out, okay, understanding that we're going to be so short, how can now we make this even more robust and, you know, prioritize individuals based on their level of illness to ensure that they get into a doctor on that day. You know, the uh, the crazy thing, Montel, is that prior to the Great Depression, there's some cities in America that had universal care. New York was one of them. And the way that it worked was that doctors saw their private patients Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Wednesday was reserved for the needy. And they would line up and doctors would just take care of them. And now you have these, uh, obviously you had the Great Depression, you had health systems and managed care and all these things compile. But doctors' hearts are still there. They still want to take care of the needy, but they don't have the autonomy to do so. And there is, I agree with you about the shortage of, of doctors. And I've seen that those same statistics and they're only going to get worse and 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 you know, the, the, the trend lines are exactly headed to where you're say, saying. But the irony is there's still this excess capacity because of how scarce resources are. People have to book months into the future sometimes. There's states in this country, Massachusetts, where you can wait 60 days to get a primary care visit. Most people in this country don't know where they're going to be four days from now, let alone 60 days from now. And by the time 60 days are up, like, you know, either that condition's gotten terribly worse, at which point you end up in the emergency room, or you, you, didn't, you no longer need to see the doctor, right? And it's so frustrating that you don't go. And, and so there's all these cancellations that happen in healthcare. And, and there's been studies done from the University of Pennsylvania and at Columbia University about just the scarcest resources in healthcare. And in primary care specifically, which is the scarcest resource outside of this vaccine and outside of COVID, patients generally cancel or no show in their appointments 20 to 30% of the time. And most of those appointments don't go filled. 
because there's just not a system that's built to actually get people in the door faster. And so there are, I completely agree with you that making more doctors, making more nurses, making it enticing for people to go into those professions is one part of the problem, but there's also ways to just make the whole system work better. And I think that's, that's really what I've dedicated my career to doing. And you've done so when it comes to, you brought up COVID and brought up the vaccine. Let's talk a little bit about this. Now, when did this, this started last March, right? You started a brand new company, Dr. B? Well, actually it started in January. So the January okay. of this year. So literally three months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And so uh, through the, uh, the board that I'm on at the Columbia uh, University Mailman School of Public Health, I've become friendly with Dr. Ian Lipkin, who is known globally as the virus hunter. He was in China 14 years ago when SARS was uh, an issue and he was one of the first calls that uh, uh, the, the Chinese scientists made outside of the country when they realized they had a problem and he was there in the early days of COVID. And he, uh, he incidentally created a, a COVID test called the C3 test that was used in a lot of the clinical trials for the therapies and the vaccines that have now come to market. He and I were chatting in uh, a few months ago in January about how we've come this far. We now have these vaccines and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, at least in this country. And what uh, what's happening was just really tragic because similar to what we were talking about in primary care, where 20 to 30% of these appointments were getting no-showed or last minute canceled, the same thing is happening with COVID vaccine. It's so scarce that people were booking multiple appointments in the early days and they were no showing. They had to book them so far in the future and, and they weren't canceling. And so you had all these vaccine sites over the country that were doing one of four things. They were either having to give a vaccine to the, the person who happened to be buying potato chips in line instead of the person who desperately needed it. They were giving it to people who financially or physically could wait in line all day to, in case there was an excess dose, which that doesn't seem fair because our most vulnerable population can't do that. They were going to people who happened to know the vaccine provider where they would just call like, out of a desperation to make sure the vaccine doesn't go to waste. They'll go to the people on their phones and they're doing what they can to make sure that this doesn't go to waste. But that also doesn't seem fair that you have to know a vaccine administrator to, to get the vaccine when it, when it was so scarce. And the worst case, it would just go to waste. And so none of these things seemed equitable. None of, none of these things uh, were really uh, optimal. And so we thought that there needed to be a better way for our country to administer excess doses or uh, be able to uh, administer, quite frankly, de deliver vaccine period. And so we, we just thought about uh, queuing-based models and there re there's research that's been done in healthcare that talks about how queuing-based models are probably the most efficient way to allocate the scarcest of resources. And uh, the reason for that is that you don't have to worry about the latency between when you book and when you consume healthcare. Literally, it can be instant and you can prioritize in real time to make sure that the people who really need it are the ones that get notified first. And so we built Dr. B, uh, which is a universal wait list for the COVID vaccine. And the way that it works, any patient anywhere in the country could, can sign up. Uh, they've been able to do it for a few months. And any vaccine site that wants to use it, it's absolutely free. If they have excess doses uh, or they want to vaccinate more of a population, they just indicate how many doses they have, uh, what kind of doses they are, like what Pfizer, J&J, &J, uh, Moderna. And then when they expire, 
and it automatically will text message the appropriate number of people based on the local government priority criteria in that area. Now, that local government priority criteria is particularly important as it relates to the issues of health inequity, because a lot of populations, a lot of the most vulnerable populations have been vaccine hesitant for some of the reasons we talked about earlier. And now as that vaccine hesitancy is starting to go away and people are getting open to getting the vaccine, there's still parts of the country where if you're 65 and you want to get the vaccine, you have to hit refresh a thousand times a second and compete with someone who grew up playing video games. And that's just not acceptable. It, the, the benefit of a queuing based model is that you can perpetually put the highest priority people at the front of the queue forever, even after for political reasons, when they open it up for everyone 16 and over to get the vaccine, you can still make sure that the first person who gets notified is that 65 year old in the vulnerable community, because that's who really does need to get vaccinated first. Well, now, are you starting to see let's let's talk a little bit about the vaccine itself. I mean, you, you've heard you know, depending on what news outlet you listen to, you know, the pushback by so many people on still today, I I find it just an abomination that there are people who call themselves news anchors who would still have, uh, you know, you you heard that there was a a Joe Rogan a couple of days ago was saying that, um, you know, uh, uh, young people should, don't even bother, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You don't need the vaccine. As if young people shouldn't care about their parents or shouldn't care about other people in the community and shouldn't care about themselves. When we're noticing now, I think, you know, it's a point black fact that, you know, uh, I think what is it clearly almost half of all the hospitalizations in the last two months have been from people in that, you know, mid-range, you know, 18 to 35 or 30 to 39, which is crazy. What do, what do you what, what do you say to a person who who thinks that um, you know this is a conspiracy to put a microchip inside of my body? Huh. Well, I'd say, look, um, I you know we we um, we grew up, and one of the the biggest themes and in, in the movies that I grew up with as a child were movies about World War II and how the epic impact it had on this country. There were four hundred thousand Americans who died in World War II. We've already had 500,000 American deaths as a result of COVID. So it's been 25% more extreme than World War. So let's just be clear. This is our generation's World War. The only difference is that all of humanity is on one side. There are 2,500 variants of coronavirus. And the entire world, though this country, we're far along, you know, 30% of our country has been vaccinated. Only 3% of the world has been vaccinated. And the entire world's not going to be vaccinated until 2023. So those 2,500 variants are going to continue to mutate. And they're going to continue to become more contagious. And God forbid, one of these variants ends up being no longer, uh, for which these vaccines no longer are effective against. That, that creates a huge issue for all of humanity. We've just gone through something we never expected. Most of us never want to go through again. And, and now, if this... If this virus mutates, which statistically it, it, it's very probable that it can do if, if we just let people continue to get this virus. So every time someone gets the virus, that's a chance for a mutation. That's a chance for something, you know, one in a million, one in a billion. But there's six billion people here. We all need to get vaccinated. And so, you know, I, I think it's really our duty for humanity to make sure that we do everything we can to contain this virus. And it's not just the first shot. 
like this is just the first wave, but we're going to need to get booster shots. They, they expect that the, uh, the current vaccines will last six to eight months. But this is part of the routine of being a human, which is that we're going to get our annual COVID vaccine uh, uh, or maybe multiple times a year for the foreseeable future. And that's what's needed for humanity to go back to or get to what is a, a normal where we restore some of the freedoms that we've just had to restrict ourselves from for the last 13, 14 months. Well, you know, but I mean, it's, it's crazy, though, when you have these these people who are influencers who literally put out some just false information. And, you know, I'm so sorry to say it, but, you know, Americans have proven to be more like lemmings than we have. by uh, But uh, uh, we will follow anybody over a cliff if they just say the right thing that makes us feel good that day. People will just follow them right over a cliff. And it's unfortunate to me that that there are so many. I, I mean, I, I've I've come across a couple of people who said, no, 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 I'm not getting any, you know, because, you know, they just came up with this too fast. Or no, no, no. They come up with an excuse to not get something and don't. It's almost like we've not done a good enough job educating people on the idea that were it not for vaccines of the past, you know, everything from polio to you name it would have wreaked havoc and we probably would have, oh, probably 70% less people on this planet than we have today. Um, and we don't even know, you're talking about the variants when it comes to COVID, but we do know that because of climate change, whatever you want to call it, global warming, whatever, you know, the polar ice caps and glaciers that are melting on this planet have been melting and releasing some of these million and two million year old viruses into the atmosphere that have been frozen and sitting dormant. And viruses don't die that quickly. Yeah. So, you know, we've been releasing more. We have no idea what's coming next. You know, I hate to be that doomsday guy, and I don't, I don't I, that's not what I'm trying to be, but I've, I've asked multiple doctors about this. And, you know, only, the only answer I can get is that, well, you know, I'm telling that that's what's happening. But we don't have to, we, I don't think we have to worry about that. They don't answer the question because the truth of the matter is that there could be something floating around right now in the atmosphere that's just waiting to infect a human being. So, I mean, it would be behoove us to get ourselves as best in check as we possibly can right now against this thing that we now see has for some, about 20% of the population that has, has already contracted it, about 20% of people are experiencing long-term symptoms. And we don't even know what those things, what will happen with that in another five years. Exactly. Right. So now, uh, what about, have, have you seen that, that the entire demographic of America has tapped into what you're offering with Dr. B? I mean, does the minority community, brown-skinned people of, of every ilk, have they, you know, stepped up to the plate and started clicking on to see if there's available vaccines in their community for people of color? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way we launched Dr. B, uh, before we gave our first shots at the end of February, we, we, we launched at the end of January and we spent, um, we spent five six weeks where we uh, where we initially launched uh, the app, we, we didn't do it through the press. We did it in a Zoom call with 86 community leaders with a very heavy representation from the Black, Brown, Native, and Hispanic communities. And we did that and we went through uh, 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 Black church leaders, et cetera, and we made sure 
that uh, word started to spread. And the reason why that was important is the way that our algorithms work. If you, Montel, and I, if we're the same age, we live in the same zip code, have the same job, same health conditions, and you signed up before me, you would get notified before me. So there becomes an inherent bias with how the system uh, would uh, could be rolled out. And, and, and so we, it was very important to us that it wasn't done through, uh, through some of the media that may not have had representation from the most vulnerable communities in their readership. And so we, we've made, a, a, I think, a lot of strides. If you just look at uh, where we've penetrated and, and uh, um, who we've partnered with, I think that we've made a lot of strides, but it's not enough. Uh, there's still uh, a lot of vaccine hesitancy in these communities and every influencer that has, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, any ounce of, of decency should really be using all of it to, to make everyone comfortable to, to recognize that, yes, it's, it's a true statement that pretty much anything we do in life from driving the office to cutting an onion to taking a vaccine has some degree of risk. But if you look at all of those things, like at most people's average commute to where they were going to work when before this whole thing happened had significantly more risk in it than getting the actual vaccine. And why do we go to work? We go to work because it's what helped move, move our world, our society, our family forward. Why do we get the vaccine? It's for the same reason. And so I think, uh, I think that, you know, it's true. Absolutely. There's risk, but the risk is smaller than pretty much most things that we do in our everyday lives. The risk is smaller than you flushing yourself down a toilet, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know that's a silly thing. So if people wanted to get more information about uh, Dr. B, where would they go? Give it out right now so we make sure that all my viewers know where to go to, to find the access to a vaccine in their community. Sure. It's HiDrB.com, H-I-D-R-B.com. And, you know, one of the things that's really uh, important, uh, you mentioned uh uh, over, having over 200 vaccination sites, we've actually doubled it in the last couple of weeks. So now we have nearly 450 vaccination sites working with us. And one of the things that's really relevant is uh, we are able to help facilitate mobile vaccination sites. So these super sites, these stadiums, these conference halls, like they're great for vaccinating the masses. But if you need to vaccinate the entire country, you have to bring the vaccine to the people. And so that's the next wave. And that's something we're helping facilitate literally you don't need to worry about scheduling. You join you join Doctor B, and within within um, uh, a vaccination site, when they choose to locate a mobile vaccination site near you, they'll do it. And within minutes, you get a text message, and so they can literally launch these mobile vaccination sites in seconds. So it I, costs you nothing. What's that? And it costs nothing. It's nothing. It's free for patients. It's free for providers. And you know, you, I should say and recognize the fact that the, the name Dr. B has some significance for you, does it not? Yes, it does. Uh, my, I mentioned everyone in my family is a doctor. One of the most epic doctors in my family was uh, my mother's father, who we affectionately called Dr. Bubba, uh, which meant Dr. Dad. He became a doctor in France actually during the last global pandemic, the Spanish flu. And he dedicated his life to bridging gaps in care for patients. And in many respects, uh, when we thought about what to name it, it seemed like an appropriate hat tip to the man who introduced this concept of making sure that everyone receives care uh, to my family. And that's it's named in his honor. That's unbelievable. That's really, really good. Anything else you want to add, sir? 
No, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about it. And really, it's everyone's um, uh, it's in everyone's best interest that we all get vaccinated. And uh, literally, um, just thank you for helping us spread the word. And thank you for the listeners to making sure that your friends and family are vaccinated. We will do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for that to happen for everyone. Uh, it's people like you that are going to definitely make the biggest impact, I believe, in this country and in this world. So I can't thank you enough. Do you plan on going global with this also? Yeah, we are. We are in the midst of uh, preparing for that. I mean, we're seeing the news right now, and there's not a country in this world that doesn't need our services. And so we've got a small but mighty team. It's a literally three Three and a half months we've been working on this. We have a team of 53 full-time folks. We probably need to hire another 200. And uh, we need to get this everywhere we can as quickly as possible. And, and so if anyone listening is, is interested in helping us with that, uh, please reach out. There's on our website also opportunities of, of where we need help. So thank you again for this opportunity. And uh, we really appreciate your support. For sure. And I, you know, I think that, you know, again, um, I'm glad that we even had an opportunity to talk for a second about, um, you know, the the project that I'm working on, which is uh, RTM, because I think, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, I think the world, well, especially the United States, is facing its next pandemic. And the next pandemic is really a pandemic of mental health. And as much as people know that they're should go see a doctor. Some don't even know where to begin when it comes to mental health issues, and especially, you know, those who are suffering. We've been told that, you know, close to 30% of the people who have been hospitalized for COVID, um, you know, left the hospital suffering from PTSD from their experience in the hospital, you know, being, being on that close to death mark. And uh, so, you know, once we come out of this, that's going to be our next pandemic. And um, I'd love to Maybe see if I can connect you with the people who are working with RTM to see if there's maybe some sort of an app that we can do and come up with them to provide that service to people. I, I, I we're uh, fellow travelers on the same cause, and anything I can do to help, uh, I would love to. Absolutely, sir. Well, I want to thank you so much and thank all of you for listening to Cyrus Masumi and understand one more time, Cyrus, tell them where they can go. It's hi, doc, what? HiDrB.com, H-I-D-R-B.com. Please get your friends and family to register. Anyone and everyone should be getting this vaccine. It's safe. It's lower risk than anything we're typically doing in our everyday lives on a routine basis. So please get the vaccine, spread the word, and thank you for listening. So thank you all for tuning in, and thank you for being a part of today's Free Thinking with Montel. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments.